good to see you folks tonight. Uh, I don't believe in a partial rapture, but there are a few folks missing. Must be the holiday weekend, but we're delighted that each one of you are here. And uh, we're going to look tonight at a subject, uh, serve one another. But before we do, sing with me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me now safe. Am I love lifted me? Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me. when nothing else. Could help love lifted me. Wonderful singing tonight. Take your Bible, please. Turn to the Galatians chapter 5 with me. Galatians chapter 5. We've been looking on Sunday nights at the one another's of Scripture, how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. And we looked the first night. At love one another, there's a, a Greek word that is translated one another in the New Testament about a hundred times. Sixteen times it is referred to the text of loving one another. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And I believe that's the overarching, and we'll look at this text, and you'll see why I say that. Look with me at verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. By love serve one another. This context is talking about how that we now have liberty in Christ, not liberty for uh, license, not liberty for sin or lusting, but liberty to serve, to serve one another and showing Christ's love. Look at verse 26, same chapter, says this, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. Let's don't do that. We're going to serve one another. I pastored in Houston, Texas, my first church, 1982, went to Houston, and uh, there was a, a cafeteria in, in the Houston area, a chain called Luby's Cafeteria. And so after Sunday night services, we would go over to Luby's, and it, you know, Houston's a big city, it's uh, uh, millions of folks, 50 miles across that city, and uh, so we were on the west side, the Katy, Texas side of, of Houston. And we went uh, to Luby's that Sunday. And for the very first time, there was a lady that started the, the serving line. You, the salads were first. This was a, a Mexican lady. Uh, she looked like she probably uh, and sounded like she probably was from 
Texas, but she, a uh, wonderful lady and very friendly lady, but she started that, and this was, we're talking about hundreds of people now in these lines, winding through uh, these rows as you get ready to go uh, down that uh, serving line at Luby's Cafeteria. And in every person that when they stepped up to be served, she was the first one serving the salads. She said, serve you, the next one. Serve you, next one. Serve you. And when you're listening to that, winding all the way through all of those different, you know, hundreds of people waiting, you have that in your mind over and over and over again. Serve you, serve you, serve you, serve you. Until you realize when you read the New Testament, that's what we're to be doing. Serving one another. I... uh, I'm grouping a few of the one another's together tonight uh, that I believe fit each other. And the second one, along with serving one another, and I believe it overlaps, is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Peter 4, 9. It says, use hospitality one to another without grudging or without murmuring. The word hospitality literally means to be a lover of strangers. I have found in this church a lot of folks who know what hospitality is all about. Praise the Lord for that. But it says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Matter of fact, that one another characteristic of hospitality is one of the qualifications for a pastor. We're not looking tonight at the qualifications of a pastor. We may be doing that in the next couple of weeks, but not now. And we're going to look, though, at those qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn with me in your Bible. If you haven't marked that, as the church is praying and God is using our pulpit committee to find candidates and trusting God to lead to the exact person that will be the next pastor, Crossroads Baptist Church, you need to mark this passage of Scripture because this is the qualifications that we're looking for. Notice with me, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, three words used in the New Testament, and that is bishop, elder and pastor use interchangeably so this is the office of a pastor he desireth a good or an excellent work a bishop or pastor then must be blameless not sinless but not able to put your finger on a major area of flaw in their life that's what that word blameless means the husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behavior and notice here it is given to hospitality Given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, but not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, who's taking care of things at home, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, not a new Christian, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, 
he must have a good report of them which are without, those outside the church, lest he fall into a reproach and the snare of the devil. Over in Titus chapter 1, we're also given a qualifications for pastor, another text that you need to mark in your Bible. And as you mark Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at those often because you're going to be making a vote here in the days ahead sometime in God's timing. I told someone yesterday, though, and I'll tell the deacons tonight, we're not to look at the clock to see whether it's going to be in the next week or two or calendar to see whether it's next week or two. We need to look at the compass. We need to keep our focus in the right direction over these next few weeks and months. Not at the clock or at the calendar to see, where, I wonder, well, if it's going to happen next week or the next week or the next week. I don't know what it, when it's going to be. But the church needs to keep its focus in the right direction pointing in that direction. Notice Titus chapter 1 is one of those texts beginning in verse 5. Titus 1, 5. For this cause left thy in Crete, thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders or pastors in every city as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, that's not able to put your finger on a major area of flaw in their life, the husband one wife having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop or pastor must be blameless and as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, no short fuse, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. But here's our phrase, verse 8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince or convict the gainsayer or those who would oppose the gospel. So here it is in those two texts, we have the qualifications for a pastor that includes one who is given to hospitality, who knows how to serve others. And then lastly, I'd like for us to look at the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at this last week when we preached on the subject, members one of another, how we are a part of the body, every part, even the feeble parts are all necessary, not everybody the same, using their gifts and talents that God has given for the glory of God. And we looked at this same text, but I want to point out just in this text, just a, a couple of verses that talk about, I think, another one of the one another's of the scriptures that uh, ties in with serving one another and with uh, being hospitable to one another. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's beginning in verse 25. It says here that there should be no schism or schism. I have English teachers who still can't tell me how to correctly pronounce that. One of those, that there's no division, no division in the body. The members should have the same care one for another. So here we are. We're caring for one another. Look at verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So here we're to care for one another. As we let other people know, someone has said, 
I don't care what you know until I know that you care, that we let people know we care about you and we care about doing things for you. You and I have a, a freedom from the law now, Galatians 5 teaches us. Not a legalism, not license, but freedom to serve others, serve one another, and to serve Christ. We're motivated by the love of Christ, even that Galatians 5.13 tells us, by love, serve one another. We're motivated by the love of Christ. That love of Christ has been given to us, Romans 5.5 says, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God gives us now a capacity to love one another like we could have never loved before. You may notice that in your own Christian life now that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, man, I couldn't, a long time ago, I could have never loved that person. But God's given you love for them now. And by love, we're to serve one another. Just like Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45, I love the verse. Amy Carmichael said, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. We need to serve and give to one another. Someone else has said, a man shows his greatness not by the number of servants that he has, but by the number of people he has served. Serve one another. I want to, us to look at some text of Scripture tonight that when I think of serving one another, of uh, being hospitable one to another, or caring for one another, these are the texts that seem to pop out of the Scriptures to us. John chapter 13 John chapter 13, that's the text that we quoted, John 13, 34, and 35, that we love one another. But if you look at the beginning of that chapter, John 13, I've used this verse many a time with people. John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he could depart out of this world and the Father. And notice this, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I have used that verse and that part of that verse many a time with people, some people in their passing hours in hospice, Christian men who were leaving their families, but he loved them all the way to the end. Loving them all the way to the end. Verse 2 says, And supper being ended, the devil now, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. At that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, even Judas's feet. Began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. 
Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou not wash my feet? I mean, it was only for usually servant girls who would wash people's feet in a house. Here's Jesus, a male. Jesus, the very Son of God, washing the disciples' feet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter was full of those never words, wasn't he? I'm not going to ever betray you, not me, not me. He, he was much like we are. He, he would put his mouth in motion before he put his brain in, brain in gear. He, he, didn't know how to, he didn't know how to think first and then talk. He, he just went ahead and said it. He said, look, I'm not, you're not going to ever wash my feet. But Jesus did. He said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. You see... 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, I love it. We've had people in our church visit the church who were from all kinds of various backgrounds, all kinds of sexual persuasions. I've pastored four churches now, so a lot of different folks have come. And I've seen some of those people come to Christ and be a part of the church. And it talks about those that would not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, but now, he said, but ye are washed. You've been sanctified. You're now a part of the body of Christ. And because of that, uh, what you were, you no longer are anymore. But he said, now you've been washed. And he said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. But Simon Peter said unto him, Lord... Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his except to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you're clean, but not all. And so in those days as they were walking on the dusty roads, they may primarily wash their feet. We, all, we what we need is continual uh, cleansing and, and, and washing, but not being saved all over again. We're, we, we're walking in the, in the world, but not to be of the world. And he said, you, you, just need, you just need some, we need to keep some short accounts with God is what we need to do. And he said that you're not needing all of you to be washed. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean, not Judas. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and he sat down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. He's talking here about serving. Serving each other. Some denominations believe this is an ordinance in the church. I personally do not believe it, an ordinance in the church. But I do believe that it's something that we need to emphasize if we're going to love God, we're going to serve one another, serve one another. Then uh, 2 Kings chapter 4 in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4. 
Several years ago, I went out to International Baptist College, had a student in our church in Houston that was a student at International Baptist College at that time in Tempe, Arizona. Now it's in Chandler uh, uh, near Phoenix. And uh, I was preaching in chapel. I stayed with the president of the school, uh, Brother Tetro, and uh, he had this, these verses of scripture on the wall of the room that he'd set aside for us to stay in. Second Kings chapter 4 and beginning in verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, the Shunemite woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. He came by often to that house, and she took care of him and fed him. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes, us, passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there, and notice what they put in there, a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick, and it shall be that when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. Notice that the supplies that they put in there to be able to accommodate in hospitality the man of God. I stayed in that room, and they had one of those Murphy beds. It's a, a bed that's up against the wall. I was afraid that thing was going to fold up on me in the night. And, but they had one of those Murphy beds you pull down, and it had a little table there and a little stool and a, a little lamp there for studying. And I thought, this is absolutely wonderful because they had designated that spot in their home to keep people who came by usually the speakers at uh, International Baptist College. And uh, I thought, why couldn't we do something like that? I just recently, as I left the church in Whiteville, they had put in a, a prophet's chamber inside the fellowship hall. Uh, it was a, a, like a motel room. It was, it was uh, so we, when we moved there, uh, we lived in that prophet's chamber for a little over two years. That was the biggest 2,000 square foot living room I've ever had in any house I've ever been in. I go to church, uh, and on Sunday nights when church service was over, I'd say, now y'all can stay as long as you want to, but I'm going to bed. And, uh, and so uh, we'd go in that little room, and you had to take out your toothbrush and everything out of the bathrooms because people were going to use those same bathrooms. And so we'd, Linda and I did that for a little over two years. The reason they put a prophet's chamber in there is because if you stay in one of the motels in Whiteville, you can get shot. And so uh, it was a safe place to stay, but it was an accommodating place. We kept missionaries. We kept uh, visiting evangelists would stay in there. It was just absolutely wonderful. And I thought, you have made a decision like the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. You wanted to show hospitality to others. In your own house, uh, a lot of us, I, I've pastored people who lived in studio apartments. Studio apartments means the bed and the kitchen and the bathroom and everything is all, it's kind of like stew, you know. It's all studio and it's all just, just in one little spot there. You wouldn't have room for anybody else to stay with you. 
what if God allowed you to build a house? Would you figure a room for the man of God to stay in? Would you have a place so that somebody else could stay with you? I'm very thankful we have all these grandkids and, and we've, we've got a spot now for them to stay. Matter of fact, the room's nicer than the one we stay in, I think. But anyway, uh, we've got a room for them to stay in. We always tell them it's, it's short term. I mean, you know, it's not, they're not going to come over there and live with us, but it's, it's short term. But I told Linda, that's, you're thinking like the Shunammite woman. Do you have a place for somebody to stay? Are you given to hospitality? Are you a lover of strangers? That's what the word means. Luke chapter 10, the New Testament. I have often told people, we went to the Capels today and they extended hospitality to us and we appreciate it very much. I've often told people that Jesus loved to go down to a little town about two miles away from Jerusalem. On the walls of Jerusalem, I've been 40 years ago, a long time ago, but you can look and you can see the town of Bethany. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived there. Jesus loved to go there. And they showed tremendous hospitality to the Savior. I've told people many a time, you treat us like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus treated Jesus. And as I looked at Luke chapter 10, and Brother Capel did this today in this text. He used this in the Sunday school class, and I, I want to use it uh, tonight because I think there are sometimes dangers in serving the dangers of serving. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. A lawyer in verse 25 had asked the Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him what they said in, my, in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus had said the same thing, and he said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 29. And he, willing to justify himself, the lawyer, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who actually is my neighbor from what you've told us? And then Jesus gives this story. And he said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I'm not going to have anything to do with that one. And likewise a Levite, and when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, John 4, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, 
take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, he that showeth mercy on him. And he said unto Jesus, says Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. You go show that compassion. And then the next text, next verses tells us of Jesus down at Mary and Martha's. And it says, it came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village, Bethany. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And receiving one another is another one of the one another's of scripture. We'll preach on that at another time. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Martha and Mary were sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was concerned about more about the meal than she was at sitting at Jesus' feet. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. She, she was burdened with it. And she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. I mean, I'm out here slaving in the kitchen, and here she is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful or anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. One of the dangers of serving is that we can get so wrapped up in serving we're not sitting at Jesus' feet. There are certain people that I mean, they're always serving. I thank the Lord for people who are serving. The church needs people who are, who are serving, but they better be sitting at Jesus' feet. They'll run out of spiritual gasoline pretty quick if they're not feeding themselves on God's word. Sit at Jesus' feet. We had a, a man in our neighborhood in Somerville Matter of fact, he later, my dad developed a tumor on his inner ear, non-malignant uh, tumor uh, that uh, developed on his inner ear, left him without any balance. 1971, my dad threw that though, trusted Jesus Christ as his savior at age 51. And uh, this man worked with my father. They had worked in Arkansas together. They'd worked in uh, Maryland together. And they'd worked in Somerville together on the Polaris missile program. And when my dad retired on medical disability, this man took my dad's job as a supervisor of the inspection department for the Polaris missile. Anyway, uh, John Conzell, I remember he didn't know the Lord. We, didn't, and we were friends of theirs, spent some time with their family and our family. But I remember the day that John Conzell trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, repenting of his sin, and was gloriously saved. Hallelujah. We were just, it was just wonderful to see this adult uh, trusting Christ as Savior and desiring to serve the Lord. He began to go to church to do something about every day. I mean, he was down there about every day to serve. The problem was he almost lost his family. The problem was that his kids didn't really want to have anything to do with Christianity because they wanted Daddy. And they never had him because he was either at work or he was down at the church serving all the time. The dangers, the dangers of serving 
so much that we're forgetting to sit at Jesus' feet or take care of our family. You know, I love the, that story about Luby's Cafeteria, and I do not want the college students to turn around to each other after this service is over and go, serve you, serve you, serve you. How are we going to serve one another? Practical ways to serve one another. First, we can restore others. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. When a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore one another in the spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. We know that's, I talked about that being a medical term, like putting a broken arm back together. We can help to restore others, one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we can bear one another's burdens. On prayer list in the average Baptist church, the number one prayer request is going to involve cancer. I remember sitting in a, a meeting with uh, highway engineers in uh, Orangeburg. That was our district office. There were seven counties in that same uh, district. And we were sitting in the Orangeburg office and somebody from a, a company that was going to sell us some cancer insurance came in to sell cancer insurance and we could be drafted out of our pay, paycheck. And we, <coughs> excuse me. And um, they said, uh, now about one out of every 10 of you will have someone you know or a family member affected by cancer. Folks, it's probably about one out of every two or three now are affected by the word cancer. And there are so many things you can do going over to visit and cards and text and uh, Facebook messages or whatever else you use to give to them taking meals over to them. It doesn't have to be cancer, by the way. These are things you can do for others. How you can visit. Sometimes you can be like Job's friends and the first uh, part of, of Job's loss, the, the, the friends uh, who, who needed those kind of friends later in, in his uh, life. But at first, when, when he had all those losses, those friends came and just sat there. They didn't say anything. People say, well, I don't know what to say if I go over there. Maybe you just need to go over there and say nothing. They may just need you to be there, Amen. the presence to be there, and let them know that you love them and you care about them. Maybe that somebody needs to be taken on a trip to the airport or just taken a ride to the, uh, to the doctor's office. There are so many people that just have needs. I, I'm not naming all of them. You just, you just look around you. There are needs everywhere. And if you say, I just want to be a servant, I want to love Christ, I want to love others, I want to serve Christ by serving others, there's all kinds of needs everywhere for you to meet. I'm looking forward to seeing in the days ahead, this church is already a serving church. It's a, it's a church where you won't say it out loud, but there are people here who just have a servant attitude. They have a servant's heart. And they're looking. They're just everywhere looking around 
is there some place where I could serve? As a pastor, people used to say, now, Pastor, how are you going to choose the deacons in a new church? And I started a church in Texas and restarted a church in Sherraw with 14 people. And, you know, how are you going to start a church? I said, we're going to look, first of all, at the qualifications found for a deacon. First Timothy 3 has that qualifications. But I said, I want to see who's putting the tables and chairs up after the next meal that we have at the fellowship hall. I, I want to see who's in there jumping in, serving, because the word deacon means servant. It means servant. But did you know all of us ought to be doing some deacon work? We all ought to be serving. Because it says there in Galatians chapter 5, by love serve one another. That lady standing in that line at the Luby's cafeteria, when she would say, serve you, serve you, serve you, she was listening for a response. A Christian who wants to serve has a mindset of serving, not waiting on a response from others, but by love, the love of Christ constraining him or her saying in their heart, I'm looking for a way to serve you. I'm looking for a way to serve you. What it means in a church, as already you know, many of you are serving so diligently here in this church. You probably need some others to come in alongside you and help take over a few of the tasks that you're doing. But it really, that's one of the one another's of Scripture. Serve. Before the response, not waiting for a response. Loving Jesus, loving others, serving Jesus by serving others. Let's bow for prayer. Father, tonight I, I know in this church, strong church it is, but there are those here tonight who, are, who often watch other people serve. Who know that in their own heart that they by love need to be serving. For our Savior who came not to be ministered unto or to be served. But to serve he gave his life a ransom for many. Help us to follow the example of our Savior. To serve one another. To be hospitable that we love strangers. We love taking care of people like the Shunammite woman did. And then I pray that we would serve and care for one another. Just like Mary and Martha who took care of Jesus. But I pray that tonight we would make our effort to sit at Jesus' feet. So that we could better serve others. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.